Hey everybody, welcome back to this week's episode of Sound of the Loons presented by Alina Health and yet another week full and packed with action. I mean, we could talk about just the week that was, but it's more fun sometimes to kind of wrap up everything that's been because um, soccer is a never-ending cycle and we all know that. There's no there's no rest for the weary. We can just ask our next guest that. who I'm going to call him Tommy Scoots, Tom Bogert, but more importantly, the new man with the athletic uh, joining his you know, enjoying, I'm sure, his new gig. Uh, but first of all, Tom, thanks for joining me because you've got you've got the dish on everything. So thanks for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. Glad glad to get a call up. I've gotten a couple um couple rumors of interest before about potentially jumping on. This time you guys came through with the invite, so I'm glad. I guess now the athletic was the one that kind of put it over the top. All right, he's legitimate. Time time to have him up. You know what? I think it's more your schedule. Um, we <laughs> we all right. know what, we all know what your schedule is. I've heard enough of your other podcasts and, and your conversations with extra time to know that you're you never sleep. So I'm not sure how your wife puts up with that, but uh, it's hard to put the phone down these days. It, it's a blessing and a curse. You got to go somewhere where there is no signal. <laughs> that's a, that's funny. Even to go too meta into that is like the only times that I can actually dis disengage from like my phone or whatever and not feel like I'm doing stuff. Like I have to turn it off and put it in a drawer somewhere and like. So I need need to be more disciplined about finding times to do that. And even then, is it like speaking to you, like where you're like looking out of your peripheral vision, like I know it's in the drawer over there. Like, do I am I missing something? What is happening here? So that's the only way that it works because if it's not off, then I'll know it's in. Oh, like I could just open the drawer and like look just to see what like happened. Like no, like I'd have to turn it back on to like see if no. So yeah, that that's what I need to do because again, any other situation because I'm not a disciplined enough person, it, it's in the back of my mind. Well, especially if you have an Apple watch, because like, even if you had your phone oh. in the drawer, but your watch is vibrating, like <laughs> I resisted you know? that for so long. I, I finally got an Apple watch, uh, this season, this shout out to the new Apple TV deal that makes league soccer. But that was, it wasn't that I thought that they was a bad product. That was an awesome product. I was like, I don't trust myself. I'm on my phone too much. I'm too distracted as it is. Like, I don't, I don't need another reason, but like, they're awesome. And like, I'm fully converted. I totally get it. Um, but I do, I do know what that's like sometimes when you just feel the, the watch vibrating. And usually for me, it's a family text chain that's going nuts, nuts about something that's not relevant. So I don't have the, you know, the same kind of stress level that you have. Um, but it's a highly entertaining family text chain usually. So I want to get your, your pulse on sort of, let's not talk about the transfer window that just happened. Let's talk mm-hmm. about all the moves that were made in the off season and the big signings that came in and whether or not, some of these guys are living up to their building, billing. Do they need some more time? Which one to you? And we could just name a t- couple. We could talk about Yakamakis mm. with Atlanta United, but we know he was out with Hammy last last week. But in general, what he's going to mean with Vander at Portland, who maybe needs a little more time, but they seem mm-hmm. like they're really high on him. Kai Kamara at Chicago. What to you has maybe kind of said, oh, wow, this was, this was a great deal or something that are like, eh, I'm not sure how this is going to work out. I'll start with the positive. Yakumakis, you already you already brought him up, but like that one made a whole lot of sense. Like in theory, it's like all right, like everything I've read about this player is that he occupies center backs. He's a relentless worker. He works the channels. Like his usage rate was super low, and like what Atlanta needed most this offseason was to change their collection of talent to like a cohesive group. And one way you do that when you have a couple ball dominant attackers, Tiago Almada, he should be on the ball as much as you possibly can. So ball dominant is good for him. Luis Aruo wasn't exactly the same. I still think he's a very talented player, but so you have two guys who are ball dominant and who like to dribble and who you weaponize their dribbling. You need the rest of the attack to have people who do work without the ball and who compliment them. So Yakumaki is like in theory is like, All right, like I think this one's going to work really well. And he's been every bit as as kind of a perfect fit as I thought. And like, look, I'm making it sound like that he's not a super talented player on his own, like that he just run, runs hard ever. He's obviously a really great finisher, really intelligent in, in terms of his movement. And again, the way that he works, the way he occupies players, he's freed up space for Almada underneath him. And again, on the left wing, whether it's Caleb Weiler, Derek Etienne, they've done similar things. And just kind of the way that those four players are operating together around Yago Almada has just been fantastic. And so Yakumakis is, is like, everything that I kind of thought he might be and more so far, really. Well, and it's interesting when you talk to Gonzalo Pineda, and this was before Yakamakis was even playing. This was when they were still trying to sort out his paperwork and we had done mm-hmm. the first Atlanta game of the season, the home game. 
like they were like also raving about him as a person, you know, that he was just itching to get on the pitch, doing the work, training with the team. So those are sometimes the intangibles that you can do your research on these guys, but you don't really necessarily know until they get in what that will look like. So have you heard much of the same? Yeah. I mean, and like, like they're, they're really quickly to kind of talk about this publicly, which is good. And like, I don't know, you could be cynical and suggest that, um, you know, of course they're going to say that they're not going to say the guy's an a-hole or, or whatever, like in public, but like, I, there's a, you can kind of read between the lines when it's like, it feels forced or it feels like natural. Like it seems really genuine from them, from everything that, that Pineda and them are saying. So yeah, like, again, I like that's all important. And nobody, nobody's going to be as the high points of 2017, 2019, Joseph Martinez. Nobody's going to have that same kind of competitive fire. Like, cause that he was a one-of-one one kind of dude, but like Yakumakis, he's got that dog in him. He's got, he's got some of those traits. And again, I'm trying, I want to be careful to separate him from Joseph Martinez. Cause that's not fair to anybody for, for what those three, four years were like, but Yakumakis does bring like a little bit of that fire, like in, in a good way. So like, that's been cool to see too. What about Evander with Portland? Because do you sometimes feel too, it's about how the player is brought in and what is built up around it. You know, the GP tag itself carries a certain amount mm -hmm. of mystique and prestige with it. Cause that's just something that, sort of MLS, right, has created a manufacturer. This is DP tags. It's going to make player. But then on top of it, this highly sought after, most expected player, trying to toe the line. But what is he really? I mean, what what's sort of the vibe around that signing? And does he just need more time? Or what's what's the energy around that? Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I I, I have a pretty long leash when it comes to these things. Like, because just MLS is, is such a unique and, and different challenge that, like, we've seen this before where players – they can struggle for half a season, even a full season. And then all of us, like even Hani Mukhtar, like it took him probably half a year and there was a pandemic too. So it was even, even more difficult for any player to kind of come. And now Hani Mukhtar has been the best player in the league for me over the last two years. And like, again, it, it wasn't, it wasn't immediate. And that's not to kind of put those expectations on Evander, but like for all the criticisms I think I had early, like his first few games before his injury, and I don't know how long he was dealing with the injury. So maybe, maybe that's part of an excuse, but like, I don't know. He was just like a little off. It like wasn't really clicking. Like he he was doing things at a little bit of a different beat than the players around him. Um, he's got a PK goal over the weekend, which is always a nice way to get to you know, kind of hopefully get your DP going. But yeah, like I I, I don't know. You just look at his pedigree, uh, his pedigree, his resume, his talent. That like I'd be shocked if he doesn't perform really well. And and whether he kind of lives up to these really really big expectations is another thing. But I don't know. It, it would take it would take a few more months of like, all right, this guy kind of stinks for me to like be too worried, but yeah. So I'm going to go with more time. And again, Jimmy Chara being out doesn't help their rotating cast of struggling center forwards. Hasn't helped. Like they can't help any kind of attacking DP. But like, again, I, I think that once, you know, if they, if this team is always injured, so maybe this, this will never happen, but once they can get something close to a first 11 in the attack around Evander, and then they, you got to get more and more minutes, like as he's, uh, playing well individually that'll help with that group so again like i know that it's not it's not the most exciting take or whatever just, oh, just give them more time but like yeah I'm, I'm not really worried yet but portland is also i mean that, that's an absolute fair assessment because they haven't even had a regular group of training let alone games. <laughs> you know it's i mean you talk it's about, crazy it's crazy and it's 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 crazy because it doesn't seem to be like a one-off it's kind of this weird thing where they consistently have some of these nuts injuries and now you have eric williamson you know blanco's mm -hmm. not been on the field like it's just crazy what they've kind of dealt with over the, over the last few years. But at the same time, you know, so you just hope that maybe the pressure and the conversation around what he's supposed to be bringing. And I don't know how much he listens to that or doesn't, <laughs> doesn't affect him as a player. And you sort of put too much pressure on yourself because of the hype and the buildup when you bring in a player like that and you spend that kind of money on a player. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that, that's a great point as well. Plus, like, look, he was leading the Europa League in assists over this season when he left. So after the group stage. But he was more of like an eight for Michelin. Like every like kind of the scouts I talked to is that like this is a number 10 who can work like an eight. And that was one of the reasons the Timbers were attracted to him with the Timbers. Like he's he was starting as a 10. And now it's like even more of like a second forward where they like have to be like, no, no, no. Like we don't need you to progress the ball. We need you to hit the final pass. It was like Ricky Pooch when he came to the Galaxy, when he was playing as like a, a deeper role with Barcelona. And he came here's like, no, 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 we, we need you to do the final ball. So I think that there is some getting used to for him. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I really am the guy. And like, I need to be further up the field. And maybe you get frustrated if the ball isn't coming to you again. Like the Timbers are playing on the back foot for a decent amount of, of those games. And again, it, it, it's not easy to kind of fit into that when you're used to, all right, like I'll go orchestrate. Like, no, 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 we need you further up the field because we, we need you to play that final ball. Because if you come deep, it's like even Lucho Costa at Cincinnati in his first season. 
like one of the best things that Pat Noonan and Chris Albright did was they they got it in him to stay higher up the field. We're going to get you the ball higher up the field. And then again, a lot of other things changed around him, but like that was probably one of the biggest driving catalysts in like Cincinnati. So again, I, I think that that takes repetition for a player like a Vander to, okay, like you're, you gotta be like a classic number 10. Maybe, maybe you don't have to worry as much about the work off the ball. And obviously they, they would like for him to continue working hard, but like, Hey, like uh priority number one is great chances. It's crazy, though, because some of those players that are used to playing that way, I mean, at first they might like the idea of just being pushed yeah. up higher as a number 10. But at the same time, some of them, that's the way they get into the flow of it. That's how they find their way in a game is being the eight. And then that pushes on and, and helps and contributes to the offense as well. So I just wonder how he feels about that that's what they and how they want him to play. That's a good point, too. Like, again, like that sounds awesome on paper. Like when when you're going through the pitch deck, when you're saying, oh, like I'm, I'm going to be the face of the, the, the team that had Diego Valeri. And now like, hey, it's me. And the idea is for you to be here forever. And like, yeah, you, it's everything's going to run through you. Like, that's awesome. But then like you're down one nil and you haven't gotten a touch in eight minutes and you're like, just run back and give me the ball. Like, like it, then it, it, it takes a little getting used to as you say, like, all right. So, you know, 100 touches turns into 60. And every time you get the ball because you're in the attacking third, you're getting kicked and you're getting harried. So like maybe a couple of times he wants to drop back, get a few touches in and then drop back out. But like, yeah, it is a transition. Yeah, especially especially with Eric Williamson when he went down with the injury and they're still trying to kind of find that mix. And we talked about it, the more dangerous you are in the attack with your your midfielders or whoever, because right now it's a lot of the outside backs getting forward, but yeah. without Blanco, who liked to drift outside, it was sort of their quote-unquote number 10. Um, yeah. Until they get some of those more pieces around him, we don't really know what he's going to be. What about some of the interleague movement? You know, we, we can talk about Kai Kamara, and people are like, oh my gosh, he scored for like every team he's ever played on, and he has this many goals, and yeah, yeah. I'm like, but my question was always like, why is he on so many teams if he's scoring so many goals, but he still continues to do it and he finds a way to do it, you know? And then you have Matt Hedges, different side of the, the ball, right? And the solidity that he brings to that back line, which, you know, has needed that help. And then Montreal, who has like turned over their entire roster and their coaching and they got a win, but they played Kansas City. So, yeah. you know, what do what do you see maybe as the interleague moves? Do you ask these artists to Austin? Is he going to find his way oh. there against an already really talented offensive, you know, team in Austin? Like, what what has impressed you the most about some of those moves that happened in the offseason? Yeah, I'll, I'll start on the negative side for this one. Um, that the, you talked about Jossie's artists. Like, man, I was saying all offseason, like this is like the you know maybe he won't be the the best forward in the league, but I can't, it was like. Put him into Austin's attack that keeps creating chances. He's just going to score. You don't have to worry. Like, just don't even think about him. He's just going to score goals. <laughs> That's been extremely wrong so far because he hasn't scored yet. And, like, uh, some some smarter people than me, like Matt, Matt Doyle started to point this out, that, like, why it's not exactly going well is that Driussi and him occupy similar areas. And, again, while Jossi, I think, is very good in terms of pressing and off the ball, Maxi Rudy is, like, elite. Like, for all the – for all the stick that he gets, or maybe he doesn't score enough goals, he's not consistent enough, like whatever it is, like his work off the ball made life easier for Drew and, and other players. And again, like the uh, and, uh, advanced numbers of them regressing to the mean, I still thought that they were going to create enough chances and, and Zardis has enough ability. And like, again, he finishes off those sequences. His best season was when Josh Wolf was an assistant under Berhalter in Columbus. And like, that's the system that Wolf was playing in Austin. So all these things, I was like, it's a no brainer. Don't even worry about it. There's not even much to talk about because it's obvious. And it turns out it's not that obvious. So like that, that's been a disappointment for me to watch. I love that you bring up Kai Kamara because he can get overlooked just because of his age or whatever. But like, man, he's, he's awesome. Like Chicago is so much better when he's on the field and like Montreal is so much worse without him. And I know that there are a lot of, uh, you know, stylistic changes. I think that he probably fits better to what Chicago are doing than what Montreal and Hernan Lasada, but like, that's really cool to see. And like, he moves around. Like I did, I, I interviewed him for a story when he was in Vancouver. It was like two teams ago. <laughs> and like, and no, three teams ago. Cause he went to I was going to say, are you sure it was only two? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, and I, I remember like laughing at them then I was like, you know, I hope you, you don't take this question the wrong way, but like, you don't look like a 35 year old out there. And he like laughed. And he's like, I don't feel like it either. <laughs> and like we're three years later. And this dude still is like, I, I don't know, man. It, it's, it's the age defying. It's really fun. It, it's, it's, you know, obviously everything that goes on, you know, in the Kai Kamara experience, which is why he's on 11 different teams or whatever it's been. And why some of those teams weren't consecutive. It was, he would be with the team and then leave and then go come back later. So again, there, there's that, but like, look, I want to focus on the fact that he's chasing Landon Donovan. He'll catch him soon. And just, I can't believe again, when he went to Finland, no MLS team tried to sign him. Like it, it, his career was essentially over in this league two years ago. And he went to Finland because Sierra Leone qualified for AFCON, which he played a huge role in them qualifying and was like, I need to play. 
And then he comes back to Montreal last year. He's awesome. And then he's still great with Chicago this year. It's just, it's a wonderful story. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it is, it's kind of like the enigma that is Kai Kamara. <laughs> and that's like, you know, it kind of just sums it up because everybody's sort of, you know, it's like you heard whispers of what he's about, but yeah, when he's on the pitch and he's scoring goals and he's going to do the work and he's going to put in the energy. So <laughs> Um, you know, I, 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 sorry, I will say that, like, I've heard from like a bunch of people at a bunch of different places that he's genuinely a good guy. And that like, he like teammate, like Alfonso Davies loves this guy. Alfonso Davies like swore by him. There was other younger players, other stops, but like, I don't, like there's, I don't know what the kind of disconnect is. It's like maybe his own unrealistic expectations. The one in Montreal came down to a contract dispute. He claimed that they made false promises and Montreal pushed back on that. You know, again, he's asked out at a bunch of other different places, but again, like, from from a lot of the people that I've talked to over different stops, like, yeah, he was a really good dude. He is a really good dude. I don't have any ill will against him. It's just, you know, sometimes he has un- unrealistic expectations. So again, like I would just making sure that he's that people know he's not throwing punches behind the scenes or, so, exactly. or something ridiculous. <laughs> yes. And when I say the whispers, I mean I think that's it's like unless you're in, in unless you're in those conversations there in the locker rooms, but at the end of the day, like I've never had a bad uh bad interaction with him. He played for mm-hmm. Minnesota United, you know, like I've yeah. never had I've never had a bad interaction with him. He's always been pleasant in interviews, says yes to everything. His family mm-hmm. is always around. It's, they're important to him. His kids are around. Like, so I've never had a bad interaction. And maybe you're right. Maybe it's just that he has this, he has this view of himself and what he deserves. And he's not willing to back down from that. And that's not a negative either. You know, like you feel like this is what I'm worth and I'm not going to back down from that. And he keeps finding ways to be successful, to be effective and play on different teams and elevate teams. So you know, at the end of the day, like, I don't fault anybody who feels like this is where I'm at and you have to come and meet me there or I'm going to go find work elsewhere. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I mean, it's, you bring back the, the minute his short Minnesota tenure. I thought like I thought he like he was even saying in his like uh, quotes, like when they got him, he's like, yeah, I've, I've, we've tried to sign him like before. He was like and I was like, this is a perfect fit, both, uh, you know, technically, tactically and like personality wise. I was like, oh, cool. Like, they traded from they're gonna they're gonna resign. I was surprised when he didn't. I was like, all right, like if he and Minnesota didn't keep this guy, like I, what I thought was a perfect fit just between person and club. I was like, oh, this dude's MLS career might be over, and that and that's before he went to Finland. And again, like here we are two years later. It's just it's just really cool. Well, that was back that was back at a time too when Minnesota United was whipping in like hundred balls. A yeah. Game. So like if there's, yeah. <laughs> that's the perfect fit for Kai Kamara. What about on the opposite side of that? What about like Matt Hedges to Toronto? What does he do for this team? And I know Toronto is still trying to figure it out. You know, I'm good. I'm almost a dual citizen with Canada for how many Toronto <laughs> games, games I'm doing right now. I've got you know I'm interviewing Bob Bradley every week. But what what do you see from Matt Hedges? What does he do with this this team? Yeah, look, um, I understand why Dallas balked at kind of the long-term deal that Toronto did. You don't exactly know if it's going to age perfectly or not, whatever. Like, that aside, one of the best bets in this league is building around, like, a, a domestic center back who's been here for a long time and has been successful for a long time. And for whatever his, like, physicality might age, Last, he, he he's mostly played like at least 75% of the games his entire career. And like, again, there's been questions about that, how that might age, you know, we'll figure it out in year three or four, but like year one and the Sean Johnson signing as well. Like this is kind of what Toronto needed to do. They needed to go out and like, it wasn't just, and, and what they did this offseason, it wasn't just one, one signing defensively. It was, we need a complete makeover. And that's what they did with Hedges and Johnson. To their credit, it's come off pretty quickly it's been more the attack. Like, I mean, look, the game against Philly was awful and, and everything else, but that, that stuff happens in, in a long season. But I think that, again, like they needed those signings to hit the ground running because, again, we don't know how exactly they're going to age. And so far they've done that. There's still flux around, you know, the fullbacks. Richie Larea's loan deal is up in, in the summer. I'm sure that, you know, it makes too much sense for everybody for him to say, but again, that, that has to go, that has to happen. They brought in Savania for more depth and rotation in the midfield, a move that they really needed in terms of his legs and his motor. So again, I, I think that there are still pieces fitting around them and what, you know, the center back pairing is with hedges and, and roasted in front of Johnson. Like that's a lot of flux for, you know, the structure of your team. Um, and again, I, I've, I've taken away positive thoughts early in the season. Again, they, they would want the results to be better. The Philly game is, again, I point to it. I don't want to overlook it just because it was the worst result. But, like, if you kind of look past that, you go, okay, like, whatever, chalk it up to one day, chalk it up to this or that. Like, there's a real pathway for this team to be competitive. And, like, by last season, I we were all – people were, were all excited, obviously, as they should have been for Insigne and Bernadeschi. 
but like, it, I don't know, like the, the defense was too flimsy for me that I was like, I don't, I have to see it to believe it. And then they, they kind of put it out at the end of the season this year. I, I was most looking forward to seeing what Hedges and Johnson would do because I'm not worried about NCAA and Burdeski whenever they're fit and playing. So again, I think that that was a big check mark for them. They do need to start picking up more results than they are right now. But again, like I, I'd be cautiously optimistic on that side. What did you think of and just transitioning to this last window though? So is CJ Sapong sort of a revelation for them? Is this a new beginning for him? I know he scored and he's barely been there a handful of days and he's got some ridiculous record of scoring for the first time he plays for a wow. new team and he did it. But but I Bob Bradley said to us last week, this guy will make every near post run, every far post run. He will make every run. And once the guys around him start to understand that if they put the ball in those spots, he will be there. Yeah. And you saw that right away with Bernadeschi and Insigne in the first game, that they could do the combination. They could play the ball in. They could play the ball to the back post. And he was there. What do you think about that sort of signing? Yeah. And, and he fits really well between Insigne and Bernadeschi. I just I don't I feel like it's a bit of an indictment of their previous offseason signings that you're turning to trade for a 34-year-old center forward who hadn't scored in the better part of a year for Nashville. And like, I, you know, I'm fine with CJ Spine. Like, he'll be better in this role. Or like, the way that he worked with Hani Mukhtar, he he made life easier for Mukhtar. And Mukhtar had this great season. Like, if you put him around great players, that's good. And that's useful. And this is going to be better than an injured Adama Diamande. And they just clearly don't believe in Iowa Canola. They've, you know, I've been re- reporting or heard pretty much essentially since they signed him to a contract extension. He's been available for trade. So that's not a great sign either. Um, so yeah, like look, like I yeah, it's better than what they had two weeks ago, but that's not saying a whole lot. So I, I don't know. I think that Nashville are getting a whole lot of questions about their legitimacy legitimacy as contenders or whatever tier you wanted to put them in because of it was like, all right, Hani moved to on attack, and, and then that was it around them. And they had a significantly better defensive structure than Toronto has. So, yeah, like, yeah, he fits well with these two players, but, like, how long until they need to go, okay, like, we need to sign a center forward again because Adama Diamande has been an, an injury-prone center forward most of his career. Not, that doesn't get better with age. CJ Sapong is 30-40. Like, he is obviously much more reliable physically, but, again, he hadn't scored for, like, a year. Like, I think that this will be a boost, but I, you know, want to be careful to be celebrating this because I think that it's more of an indictment of, previous moves and that you're in this position that days before the window closes, like, ah, like who can we trade for uh, CJ Spong? Well, and it's interesting too, because I, just, I you know, I mean, yes, CJ Spong's a number nine, but maybe similar to Hani Mukhtar, like maybe they don't, maybe they don't want that many goals from him. Maybe they want goals from sure. Bernadeschi no, and yeah. Insigne. And maybe that's the, that's the real thing is like, okay, yeah. this guy's going to make the runs and he's going to occupy space and he's going to draw center backs and he's going to make the runs. But, you know, Cini is going to continue to go down the left and cut it back on his right and curl it into the back post. Like no one cares if CJ Spong is scoring a goal or not. That's a good point. And, th- and that's totally fair. And look, like that's, that's the view for Toronto here. I just think that we'll be, we might be talking what's it May 2nd right now that the window opens again on, on July 4th or July 7th. And like, Hey, are Toronto going to try to sign a center forward? Or like, now what do you do with these? Like, again, I think in the short term, it's it's a positive, but like I, again, I don't. I just think that this is a band aid and not a solution. Sure. And then what about uh, some of the any big surprise for you? Let's not even talk, you know, players, teams. I mean, since St. Louis has been the talk of the town, now they're on yeah. this little bit of a, you know, they were riding high on on what they were doing. Now they've kind of maybe come back to reality a little bit because now teams are starting to figure out what mm-hmm. what they are capable of. Kind of like Cincinnati. You talked to Pat Noonan, and he's like, "We're not surprising anybody this year. We surprised a lot of people last year. Not doing it this year because everybody knows oh. you've got New England, who was at the top of the East, massive injury to Dylan Barrero. Like, what what has surprised you, or maybe not surprised you? LA Galaxy, Sporting Kansas City. <laughs> I mean, are those two guys going to have a job soon? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll start. You know, it'd be disingenuous to start the surprises anywhere else in St. Louis. Again, I know that every we've all been talking about it, but like, it it, it shouldn't be overlooked. It's still in, in, incredible, and you know. If their pace slips a little bit, it's, yeah, I don't know. This is still so far beyond what everybody thought that they were going to be. And and we all looked at the roster and we were all wrong. You know, I don't know about Lovin. I don't know about Klaus. Even the intra-league sign, like, you know, Matt, uh, Tim Parker, he's good with the Red Bulls, but he hasn't been that guy for a while. Like, Houston are paying half his salary just to trade him away to, to move on with their build. Like, I don't know how it's going to work. They've been awesome. Like, all, all of their intra-league signings have been really valuable contributors that anybody else in MLS could have had. They were expansion draft guys. Jake Dorinsky was signed in free agency. There wasn't exactly a bidding war for him. You know, Jared Stroud wasn't even making the bench for Austin FC. Uh, Kyle Hebert was signed as a free agent after the draft, 
in which he wasn't drafted, nine teams passed on a third round selection. So nine teams said, not only do we not want to draft you, we don't want to draft anyone. We're like, we we don't even want to pay for your plane ticket to come to preseason and see if you can make the team, right? So I don't want to overlook that or belittle that just because I we keep saying I keep saying the same thing. It, it's right, like, but like it's still it's still the biggest surprise of the season. On the negative side, um, I didn't think Kansas City were gonna be particularly great, but this is this has been really, really bad. And I don't know, you just kind of look at that team and to echo what Johnny Russell is saying. I don't, I don't see where it gets better, you know. But Willie see, Gata, I, then I was totally I wrong it. before Willie Gotta got hurt. But like, I, I mean, I thought the way they finished last season, exactly. That even if they didn't complete back at full strength and you know Gotti Kinda back at full strength, like they were going to be okay because they had found some other opportunities. And Tommy was doing great. Like, but you yeah. know, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not sure. Is it the back line again? Is Tamilia's getting a little bit older? I know. Like, Oof. I don't Oof. know what what's what's yeah. what the heck. That, I mean, so so that's the thing. But, like, I keep on focusing on that. Again, that was my reason for being dubious of them coming into this season. I was like, look, I don't know how Amelia is going to be. Center backs have been a problem. Full backs have been a problem for a long time. And these are these are long-term issues all across the back line in number six. They, they've had year after year after year where they just haven't properly addressed it. And it's really disappointing. Like, people are talking about uh, Vermees or whatever. Like, I... Vermees as a head coach, I'm not... I, I think he could turn it around. Vermees as a sporting director, I'd have some serious questions, you know? Like, there's... There's not been enough good, but but again, like that that's what I kept focusting on, and they they scored three goals this year. Like I don't know, like Willie Agata must have been hurt like severely, like while he was playing, he must have been playing through something. He looks like a different guy. Eric Tommy is like just like slower on the ball. He's like going more sideways and vertical. Like again, Daniel Shaw is a like he's a little bit erratic in terms of goal scoring, but he's like a proven like above average. I think would be fair to say. MLS winger. He was on like best eleven ballots two years ago. Like I don't. It's it's like weird. It, it's weird. It's it's like odd. It's curious. Like again, like looking at this group right now, I don't I don't know how it gets better this season. Like I don't know how it gets better without like a teardown. Without I don't know. So that that's been weird. But but again, like I wasn't as high on them coming to this season. But then, you know, definitely not like this. Galaxy is the one where I was just completely wrong. I thought I don't know what I thought. <laughs> I bought too much into Ricky Pooch, I think. Um, and then May. I don't know. I. I it's just been really, really disheartening for that group too. Like Pooch, I think he has like one assist or whatever. Like that's not good enough. I know that, you know, you can only get assists if people are finishing, but like Jovalich has been playing all season. Chicharito hasn't, but like even now when he is, like they're finally, it seems like finally going to go to the three five two or just doing whatever they can to have Jovalich and Chicharito on the field at the same time, which is the obvious solution. It's just so bizarre when you have some of these coaches that have been so proven in this league and not being able to find the answers and or some sort of solution. And back to your point about um, about Peter Vermees and, and Sporting Kansas City, I mean, a lot of people have made too lately is like looking at is the well gone drive because so much of it was about coming through some of these youth players and mm-hmm. you're so adamant about I will play these guys if they deserve it. kind of like Brian Schmetzer does with Seattle, right? And you could have some of these guys like, hey, I know the kind of 10 we want, I know the kind of six we want, I know the kind of eight we mm-hmm. want. And we groom these guys to be that guy. Well, you get rid of Ilya Sanchez. You get rid of, you know, I mean, we could go back to like Clara deal, right? With center yeah. back when he came to Minnesota. And then you get rid of Ben Sweat. And I understand that Ben Sweat is like not some fabulous revelation as an outside back, but he had sort of this chemistry with Shallowy. And like you, you sometimes could just knew what you counted on. I don't know. Like it's, it's, it is bizarre that they feel like they don't bring up the youth as much. They've gone more. They, they spent the money on Polito and now it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just really crazy, but I just, I, I can't even imagine. I haven't listened to a whole lot of Peter Vermees' post-game press conferences, but they <laughs> they can't be great. No, no, definitely not. And uh, like you brought up a really good point about like having this defined style. And again, the, the top down structure of we want our Academy teams to play the first, like the, it's just a modern way to play. And one of the advantages of that is that, and I've spoken to people at the Philadelphia union about like Jim Curtin, like kind of turned me on to this when he was just like, yeah, the good part about having like this whole structure and everything is that like when we promote a young player into the first team, yeah, like he'll be a little bit overwhelmed because any professional debut or any kind of first steps into your professional career are, but he's been playing in our system since he was 14. He knows exactly what's asked for him. Yeah. The game will be faster. There'll be better players around you, but you know, your role, you know, every, like it's supposed to be top down and like Kansas city have, have had like a structure. It's not all of the same things. And they haven't been bringing players through like Busio and Shallowy and Shallowy was a while ago. Now Busio has been gone for a few years. Like they just, it's been weird. I got again, like from all like international signings, not panned out. Like they haven't replaced Ilya Sanchez to your point. They let him go. They declined his contract option and he's still been 
playing at like you know, all-star best 11 kind of caliber for LFC. That's got to hurt because they still haven't really replaced him. They haven't replaced Ico Parra. They've tried with different center backs. It hasn't really – like Andre Fontes had one really good season. Other than that, he's not been very good for this team. Graham Zussi is still playing right back. That could not have been the plan three years ago for him to be playing this many minutes still. Same thing with Roger Espinosa. And again, these guys are crucial to the, your locker room, your culture, and they can still add to the team, but they it, it shouldn't be being relied on to play as many minutes as they are. And then, so you just kind of go down the list and it's just like Beasler hasn't been replaced. Like Beasler Opara, like haven't been replaced. And like, it's, I don't know, it's, it's unfortunate to see. And, and again, you talking about last year. I don't know. I don't understand how they were. They, it was legitimate down the stretch. It wasn't smoke and mirrors. It wasn't a team wildly overperforming their expected goals or just like two players going like thermonuclear. And it's like, all right, they can't keep this up. Like what the whole part about it was like, oh, wow, this is pretty uh, like replicable. Like if they bring in a six, which they did, and maybe they add to the defense and just none of it's panned out. It's 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 truly, you know, I don't understand. I just don't understand. That's why we play the games. That's like the, <laughs> That's whole, the whole craziness of this league, right? Is is the just the like don't bet on this league. Don't you know? Don't <laughs> pretend like you know who's gonna win. I mean, exactly. we already even gotten into the CCL game, which is tonight. If you're listening, I mean, no, this isn't gonna go live before then. But so I, I want to talk to you just to wrap this up because I'm sure you've got places to go and people to text. But um, <laughs> what's the overall thought and pulse on this league and where it stands today? I mean, you've been around this league a long time and. We talk about this not being the quote-unquote retirement league anymore and mm-hmm. some of the young players that are coming in, what they're being sold for. And and um, what what's what's the vibe you get when you talk to people elsewhere about what this league is now? I think that it's it's genuinely getting more respect and not – I, I want to be careful. I don't want to make it sound like I'm suggesting it's a top-five league in the world or something, but, like, I don't know, even two years ago, you were still arguing with people about stupid retirement league nonsense or, you know, whatever you want to say. Like, oh, why, why would this player go there? And then, like, I don't know, you, Thiago Mata being on Argentina's World Cup roster adds legitimacy. And, like, Thiago Mata coming here for $16 million adds legitimacy. Like, that's that's a club record signing for, like, you know, mid-table clubs in, in Italy. I don't know, off the top of my head. But you know what I mean? That, like, that's that's not a fee that a whole lot of teams in the world are spending. And that's, you know, you had to convince him to come too. He's not here against his will. Like he, he, his idea was to go to Europe after this and he's ready to go now. So it might, he won't, won't be here for all that long. But like, again, that's a huge, that's a huge, you know, feather in the league's cap. And like, there's a lot of teams that have focused scouts here. Not that they come for scouting trips. They, and big clubs have scouts in the United States. So teams in Europe, like are, again, it, I don't even want to say belatedly because I sound like a, a stupid MLS homer because like, there were legitimate there and there still are legitimate con- concerns and, and criticisms that you can make for this league to continue growing. But a few years ago, it's like he overlooked like Sasha question was a U.S. international. He had to go on trial before like Celtic wanted to sign him and was like, we, we can't do the deal without having him come to train. Could you imagine if like I can't you cake out like, you know, San Jose, we're not going to put an offer in until he comes in and trains with us because we don't know if he's actually any good because your league kind of sucks. Like that's it's crazy that that's where it was. 10, 15 years ago, or like five or six years ago, some of the players that were coming in from international signings were just not that good or overpaid. Or like you had to overpay to convince them. Like we like the Portland, like we're talking about a van or not quite living up to expectations yet. MLS team convinced it signed the Europa League's leader in assist, 24 years old. That player goes to a different European club. Dejan Jovlich hasn't like I I'm a big fan of his, but like he he hasn't gotten consistent playing time. That dude had like 22 goals on loan in the Austrian first division and was going to leave Eintracht Frankfurt. That dude never comes to MLS, and so like it's being repeatable. The U22 initiative, so it's not even like South America. That trend we we've talked about, and that's been crucial to this league's um, improvement and this league's stature and the talent and everything else that's coming in. They're also getting Ricky Pooch, Dejan Jovlich, and and insert. Um, you know, Leon Flock, and he was American born, but like, again, these are guys that they're coming to MLS to go back to Europe at a higher level. Like they believe that this can happen and yeah, you're going to get paid well here. You're going to, the checks always cash. You don't have to worry about that. All the, all the advantages of teams recruiting players to live in, in the United States or Canada. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's been really cool to watch it grow again. Like I know it sounds like I got the pom-poms out company man or whatever, but like, look, there's, there's a lot of things that, that can change in a positive way. You know, we could we could talk about um, a lot of different things that, that, again, I don't really feel like getting into in terms of the critiques and the obvious spots for growth and the obvious talent that can be improved upon and brought in. But like right now where we are, it's unrecognizable from seven years ago. And I think that we have to take a step back every once in a while and be like, oh, yeah, like that is pretty cool. 
But I think the, the flip side of that point is like, it's not just about guys coming in here to do well and then go on to Europe. It's guys that are just from here and are Americans that are coming through academies and that are mm-hmm. in this system in the United States that are being sold. And Philly has been sort of one of the leaders in that FC Dallas, of course. But I think maybe the difference between those two clubs, and correct me if I'm wrong, is like some of those guys for Dallas, like never even stepped on the field for the first team and were being sold. And people are yeah. like, wait, should we sort of benefit from how good they are before we sell them? Whereas Philly actually used some of their what guys is- before they sold them. But but it's a positive either way that you're getting these American players that are coming through academies and being sold. Yeah. It's not just about the talent that's coming in. Yeah, the the, the talent identification in terms of youth soccer and the, the the growth of academies and the money that had been been starting to be put in in the early 2010s, you're really starting to see the the like fruits of that labor and of that money of, of that investment. Um, I like one of my favorite points from last year. Chicago Fire were bad. Chicago Fire were pretty unwatchable too. By the end of the year, I wasn't I wasn't locked into a lot of Chicago Fire games. I'll be honest with you, just because of everything going around that team. They sold Gaga Slonina for up to 15 million and John Duran for up to 22 million. So this was one of the like the, a running joke in the league. You po- you point to them of having a really bad season, being really disappointed, doing all the wrong, all these things that weren't good enough, and they're selling two players to the Premier League. And like Gaga was was developed by the he got a, his first team contract when he was 14, and so he was developed by the club, given the chances, and then he was moved. John Duran was identified by their scouting, got a deal wrapped up a year before he was even allowed to move, and then he comes down once for a year and does that. So like. That's incredibly encouraging. Like that's not that's not one of our best example of clubs that we're saying like, wow, what a great job. This isn't Philadelphia Union. This was like a team that was bottom of the table and like kind of going nowhere last year. And there's still these positives to take away. So again, like I think that that's my biggest kind of pro company man spiel when it comes to MLS. That's a great point because I kind of forget about that because they were so bad last year that they were able to make that kind of money. I wonder what the rest of the league and some of the owners are like, wait a minute, what? How did they manage that? You know, like, where's my money? Uh, but anyways, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're insanely busy, um, so I appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with us today. I'm sure we'll catch up soon, and if not, everybody follow you. Where can they find you on Twitter? They can read you on The Athletic. Like, what's, what's, What is your Twitter handle? I just know I follow you. I don't know if I understand what it is. Yeah, just at Tom Bogan. I, I got I got into Twitter in two thousand nine, so I, I got in early. Didn't have to put any numbers in my name. So I've got there you go. But do you have the <laughs> but do you have the blue check? <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore. R.I.P. <laughs> yeah, End of an era. Great. <laughs> All right. Thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys having me on. All right, everybody. Stay tuned. Segment number two coming up. Brent Coleman, the other Mister Minnesota, is going to join me in segment number two. As the official healthcare provider of Minnesota United, Alina Health is focused on keeping our loons in top condition. And with expertise in orthopedics, sports medicine, heart care, and more, Alina has the team to keep your family in the game too. The experts at Alina Health take the time to get to know you as a whole person, helping you achieve wellness for your mind, body, and spirit. It's an altogether better kind of healthcare. Learn more at alinahealth.org. Hey, everybody, welcome back to segment number two of Sound of the Loons. It's time I get to be joined by Mr. Minnesota himself. I, You know what, though? I should probably think of another name because I also call Manny Lagoset sometimes. So maybe I like, do, do you have a name for yourself, Brent Coleman? What can I call you, Mr.? I, I feel like Mr. Woodbury doesn't do you justice. No, um, I, I just go by BK around here mostly these days. <laughs> well, it helps when that's what's on all your uniforms and your jackets and your jerseys, you know, yeah. that you just, you just get the initials on there, but it Mr. rolls Man, off the tongue. It's easy yeah, to there play. you go. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, well, I'm, I'm sure as your little one gets uh, talking too, we'll have you then maybe we'll have some better nicknames or whatever she decides, whatever your little one decides to call you. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I get to be joined here by Brent Palman, who's been around for a really long time. And I'm not saying that to make you sound old. I'm just saying that to give you the the correct amount of praise that you deserve for being in Minnesota soccer for as long as you have been. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about U.S. Open Cup and what that means to be a part of that. And of course, the, the big win you guys just had on the road against Detroit City. But I just want to get your sort of overall uh, perspective on, you know, where Minnesota soccer has come over the years and what your your family's involvement has been as well. But, you know, I, I talked to Manny about it. I talked to Amos about it. We talked to different folks that have been around for a long time. But what's what's your sort of like 30,000 foot view of Minnesota soccer and where it is now compared to where it started? 
Um, I think you've seen a lot of growth in the the level of the the players that are that are coming out, <clears throat> and I think the exposure has gotten way better too for players coming up. Um, a quick example is my I played in my local club until I was 16 years old. And then I played with Bangu with U 16s, which became MTA when we were 17s, 18s, 19s. And our, our team was really good, right? Our group was very good. We would compete. We would compete at regionals. We were on the same level as a lot of those teams. And I was the only person from my team to play division one soccer. Can you believe that it thinking back on it now is absolutely crazy. And we just didn't get the exposure. Um, and you didn't have D1 programs around, you know, that were very close either to pick up kids that maybe other teams were missing. And now you have a lot of kids that are that are playing D1, and it's been like that for a long time now. Um, so the good kids are getting exposure. They're getting into good programs. And then you also have St. Thomas, which is a D1 program right here in town now that, you know, Lowry might be able to pick up some of the guys here that that fall through cracks in other places or even maybe some of the Minnesota United kids that fall through the cracks. So I think the exposure has gotten way better. Um, and then also having the pipeline here to the first team through the Academy is something that's amazing that obviously we didn't have when I was growing up and that should just keep driving kids to get better and driving more kids to play the sport at a younger age. So I think the future is really bright. That's such a great point because, you know, our generation, and I'm a lot older than you are, but I mean, how many good kids were on those club teams and club team was like the path, right? And ODP yeah. and all these things that like don't even hardly exist anymore. Yeah. But now, now with academies, you know, I mean, what an incredible sight to see some of these academy kids. And I know Minnesota United is still sort of in its infancy in academies and we've seen what other clubs can do. But yeah. that's got to kind of warm your heart knowing that there are other kids that are in this in Minnesota that are able to come and try out and be a part of the academy and then maybe eventually be part of the second team and the first team and that whole concept to keep that talent in this state because you know what's here. You know it's here in this state of Minnesota. Yeah, one absolutely. And I'm a huge believer in the talent that we have here. You know, Minneapolis and St. Paul is such a diverse area, such a diverse city and cities. And you have a lot of these kids that are – foreign or they come from other countries and they move here and they're young and so they're soccer first, they're soccer first kids and they have skills and it's just about finding them and getting them in the right environment for them to keep continuing to grow and, and progress to the next level. And hopefully, you know, make the jump all the way to the first team. So it's something that I, I truly believe in the talent here. And I hope that, um, you know, we keep cultivating professionals from, from Minnesota. How much does it help that you have some people that are in charge of the academy, in charge of, you know, even Manny Lago still being around that truly believe in the soccer culture here, that we're a part of it, that we're a part of growing the sport in this state? You know, not you're, you're, there are some guys that have been brought in from other elsewhere. I get that because you got to fill a roster and a staff and all that stuff. But how how much does it help? I mean, listening to Amos McGee, his passion is youth soccer. He loves that that can be continued to be honed and developed here and knowing that we came from that through that system yeah. to be able to see it. Yeah, it's huge. Exactly. Just like you said, they've seen it. They've seen it with their own eyes. Um, some of the, the talent that those guys played with and that generation come through, you just talked about Amos, uh, Manny, you know, Manny's, bro Manny's brother, Tony Sana. Yeah. That's all from, Gerard. Yeah. yeah. It's all from like a, you know, a quick little area of moment in time. So they they know that it's here. They like you said, they've seen it. I mean, you touched on ODP, and now I have these ODP memories coming to my head. We had some. Well, you don't have you don't have great memories of region camp. No, we had some amazing <laughs> players in ODP and in, in the Minnesota ODP team. My '90s team was absolutely stacked, and then just some guys just fizzle out, and you hate to see it. You know, if you were to look back at my '90s ODP team, you'd be shocked. A lot of people on that team would be shocked that I would when you know as far or farther than anybody else on that team. That's how we had really good players and just the talent's here. It's just about cultivating it and, and just helping it progress. So what does that mean for you to be a part of this still, to be a part of this transition and talk specifically about what was that like in 2017 when the team was announced that minute that, you know, Minnesota's NASL team was going to MLS and what would that look like? And what would that mean? And knowing that there's going to be a stadium that's built, one of the best stadiums, 
in this country. And now you go to Allianz Field and I don't know how you feel, but even, you know, when Bobby and I, my husband and I still go to that stadium, it's like, holy cow, this is in Minnesota. It's like who would have thought when we were younger going to NFC and USA Cup and everything that this would be soccer in Minnesota. How did that feel for you personally to be a part, part of that transition and still be a part of it? Yeah, it was a really proud moment for me. I'm still proud of it, obviously, and still continues to drive me and everything. Um, you know, I'm going to pump some air into my own tires here right now. Because sometimes I feel like I got to market myself. I've, nobody nobody thought I was going to make the jump to MLS. Who would have thought I would have made the jump to MLS? By the time I was 20, so at the end of the two, 2015 season with the NASL, I'm out of contract. I have like 15 professional games under my belt, and I'm already 25 years old. I don't think people understand really how long, much of a long shot I was at that moment in time to make the jump with the team in 2017. They don't understand. But the guys here, the coaches here that saw me train every day for three years, they knew I had that level, and I knew that they knew I had that level. I heard the whispers that they wanted me around for MLS, but I just couldn't get the games. So 2016 was a huge year for me. I got a lot of games. I think I played probably 30 games in 2016. I got to prove – I got to show what I could do week in and week out, and I guess I showed them enough because they, they offered me a contract when the team went up to MLS in 2017. So how did you do it? I mean, I, you know, I was up there every day, so I understand and I got to see it, but, but it takes a lot of hard work to make it as a pro anywhere in any league, in any sport. How did you do it? And how did you kind of get, just keep your head down and not listen to anything else and just know what you were capable of? Yeah, it's, I don't know. It got tough sometimes. The uh, 20, you know, 2013, 14, 15, the first, the first year and a half, I knew I needed to, like, I wasn't ready yet, right? I was just trying to keep better, getting better every single week. And I think that's that was the key is, um, even though I wasn't necessarily getting the games at that stage, was just trying to continue to get better and keep working hard, like you said, keep my head down. It's just kind of how I was bred, and it's just who I am to just keep working and keep, you know, focusing and training one day at a time. And I also had really good resources to learn from. We had older experienced guys you know i have my brother as a resource and then you had guys like i'm gonna leave some off here i know but guys like aaron pitch colin and tiago calvano that i could literally just watch them but also have conversations with and really help me learn the positioning um the position of center back because i hadn't played much center back in my life i was a midfielder most of my life in all of college i was mostly a center midfielder so to have these guys every day to, to talk to and watch them and get positive and, you know, criticism from them is what helped me progress. Anybody, once you transition to MLS, I mean, you've had, you know, Michael Boxel has been there a long time now too. He's the second most, you know, longest to you. Yeah. Um, and you've had a plethora of other center backs that have come through there and, but anybody else that you've been able to lean on or that, you know, when those difficult moments happen, because so much of it's mental, it's not all about physical. And yeah, you've had some injuries and whatnot, but it's so much more, I think, is mental. So anybody that you've been able to lean on within the club since it transitioned to MLS? Yeah, Boxy is definitely a good one because he's very smart um, and just break, like talking to him about situations and breaking down situations, we think very similarly about how things should look. Um so he's, he's been a really good resource. And then also uh, the staff, you know, the, the more, the more we watch video, the easier it is because then you understand exactly what they want from you and what the, the positioning and the covering should look like. Um, so, yeah, I would say mostly, mostly boxing and then the staff. I want to transition a little bit to us open cup in which against Detroit city who you wore the captain's armband. And then at the end, we'll circle back to family because I want to talk a lot. Of, I know you have a, an incredible family, but then now your own family that you have. So I want to talk a little bit about that U.S. Open Cup game. You talk about the transition from NASL. We know the, the fire that these U.S. Open Cup teams, these lower division teams, I say in quotes, you know, come into because they've got a point to prove. These players have a point to prove. You've been there on the other side of that. So what was that like to go to Detroit? 
and be able to wear the captain's armband, come from behind, get the win. It was a rowdy crowd on the road. And now you host Philadelphia Union at home. Massive, great reward for a win on the road for you guys. What was yeah. that like for you? Yeah, those those games are so much fun. Oh, my God. I have so much fun in these games. Um, like the Madison game last year. I think it was 2018 at Cincinnati when they were still USL before they came up. I hate if you can't as a if you're an MLS player and you're going into those games and you're not taking it seriously or you can't get up for those games, I I don't I can't relate to that at all. I don't understand that. Those games are so much fun. Those guys want what you have and they're coming to take it for you. So you got to rise up and you got to match their intensity or or you know bring even more because they're coming and. They're coming and they're, they're coming with everything they have. And uh, you also have other factors like in that Detroit game. I don't know if it was, if people could tell when they're watching it, the pitch is absolutely terrible. It's incredibly narrow too. It's a very small pitch. Um, It's dry. You know, they don't wet it, even though it did rain a little bit before. So I guess the ball was moving, but um, they have a rowdy atmosphere especially in the first half, they were getting after us. So um, we did a good job of weathering the storm, even though we went down early. Um, eventually, I mean, in the first half, it felt like they had guys everywhere. It felt like they had an extra player or two on the field. And then as the game wore on, it started to open up a little bit more. We were able to relax and get on the ball a little bit and move it around. So I think we did a good job of weathering the storm and then kind of taking control as the game went on. How did you, what, what, what are your words to the group? after you allow an early goal on the road in that rowdy atmosphere to be able to, again, we're in the captain's armband. And I know you don't have to have the captain's armband not to be a leader. I totally get that. But what was your message to the group? How did you communicate? You had a different rotation of players, a different rotational lineup, some young guys that were a part of it. So how do you get the group in on the same page there to get that come from behind win? Yeah, I, I didn't, there's not really time during the game when you give up a goal. But what I was trying to convey with my body language is we just need to stay calm. Like, it's not – you give up a goal early. It's not the time for us to, again, abandon the game plan and guys to go running everywhere doing their own thing because that's how you give up number two and three. So we needed to relax. We needed to keep discipline, keep our shape. Because um, what, what's most important then is you cannot concede the next goal. If you if we can get into halftime at 1-0 down, we're still okay. We're in good shape. We're going to get opportunities in the second half. But – you cannot let one goal become two and become three because then the game can be over before you know it. So um, I guess my message was just to stay calm. And then before the game, what, you know, we had some guys, I think, making their debut. I think Paddleford, maybe Devin made his debut and some other young guys getting a chance. Um, my message to them was, you know, if, if this team makes a deep run in open cup, I want you guys to be able to look back at this game with pride that you guys went out there and you're professional and you did your job and you got us through in a tough, in a tough environment. That was my message to the group before the game. I love that because I mean, those are the learning moments. That's how they get to them when they do have to step on with the first team. Maybe it's in a regular game. Maybe it's not an open cup game that they already feel like they're in a good spot mentally and physically too, that they can step in and play with you guys. I mean, they know they train with you guys a lot, which is a massive plus for them to be able to train with you guys often but to be able to then step in a game and feel like feel good about what they did and they can look back at that and, and say that they were a part of that run the open cup whatever that might look like for you guys yeah so now i want to shift to just the defense overall for minnesota united because another another tough one on sunday night against fc dallas but you guys held the clean sheet you were able to keep a dallas team that's normally relatively dangerous when you look at their attacking pieces most of which came back from the pre previous season what do you attribute the defensive success once again to this team, to whether you're on the bench and being able to watch what's taking place and then you're called upon, whether you're getting the start? What, again, is is the key to this defense as your offense is trying to kind of find its way and click? Well, I'm actually coming from a meeting where we just went over the defensive group and the goalkeepers just went over a lot of the the good and a couple of the defensive things that we can change, but a lot of the good stuff from the game. Um, I think, I think our team shape has been very, very good this year. And this is something that drives me crazy about 
soccer and soccer media and stuff is sometimes when teams are good defensively, the back four and the goalkeeper are getting too much credit. And sometimes when your team's scoring a lot of goals, the front guys are getting too much credit because this is an 11-player game. And I think our front players are doing a really, really good job. And I know they're probably taking some criticism right now because we're not scoring many goals. And maybe the quality is letting us down a little bit in the final third. But those guys up front and our front players are working very, very, very hard. And if we can keep that up, it's it's we're always going to be hard to score on. Um, and we understand that that's asking a lot of those guys. They have to put in big shifts. They have to put in a ton of running, but they're doing the work right now. And if they can keep doing it, we'll be in good shape. Anybody in particular, you know, a lot of uh, quite a few new faces this season that you've been overly impressed with how they've been able to step right in. Perhaps we all know it's a challenge to come to a new country or to a new team or new environment, a new system, new coach, whatever it might be. Anybody that you've been exceptionally sort of impressed with early on? Yeah, I think. Uh, I think which which either one starting Mender or Luis are absolutely doing the work. And then Sang Ben, since he's come in, working very hard. Those two, the, the front two players, the way we're playing right now, where we're set up, their job is to not let them play through the middle, not let their defensive midfielders control the game. And that makes a massive difference for the guys behind the ball. And it's a lot of hard work. Those two have to cover a ton of ground back and forth. And then they still have to have the energy to when we win it, to be able to provide an option to hold the ball and start play. So um, all those guys have are are they're putting in shifts for us right now. What about this this upcoming match against Vancouver? I mean, you don't have much time to focus. You can look at the tape and whatnot, but you got to turn the page and get ready for the next Western Conference opponent, which is Vancouver, who had some ups and downs themselves this season. Anything in particular that you remember from your previous match against them, and then what what does this Vancouver side look like to you? Yeah, it's. You know, they got they play Brian White up front. He's very physical. He's really good at holding the ball. He's about it's weird because he's not physically the biggest guy I've played against in MLS, not even close, but he's probably the strongest. Like when you get into these the battles with this guy, he just seems to just barely get to things before you or in headers. He just is good at barely getting a little nudge on things. Um so Boxy and and Mickey are gonna have their hands full with that. But also what I would look for is if we do go up a goal and they and they put on another striker and they go 4-4-2 like they did against us at home, um, it was really hard to deal with. They just they just kept playing things around the corner into the front two and playing from there. And they were they were definitely a handful. So our body shape's got to be good. If they are playing direct um into the front man into Brian White, we gotta have we gotta have good uh back tackling, I think. I think the midfielders gotta turn around and they gotta help the center backs make a play on the ball. Um, because he's a handful and he can hold the ball. And last but certainly not least, talk to me about your family, your little family, and what that's been like being a new dad. And I'm sure you're maybe giving your sister some advice now, as I know your sister and, and Eric Miller had a baby not too long ago because he missed one of the games I did because he was home with the new baby. So what's that been like for you? I mean, what's the best thing so far? It's hard to pick one thing. What's the best thing so far? I mean, the best thing so far is that um, our little girl's healthy and mama's healthy. That's the best thing so far. So, yeah, on April, she was uh, Georgie. Her name's Georgie K. She was born on April 20th. Um, her and, and Jenna are healthy. And um, what's kind of wild or not wild, but for years in my family, I have a lot of nieces and nephews mostly nephews. We had so many boys that were born in the span of like six, seven years. It would seem like it was all boys. Now we have three girls, three little girls born in the last three months. So the, uh, the game of odds are starting to even out a little bit and we're getting more girls and it's going to be fun because um, you have all my nephews that are around the same age, get to play together and I think we're all really excited for those little girls to be growing up around the same age and to have each other as friends and to play with and stuff like that and um, hopefully be friends for life. Is there any one thing in particular that maybe has happened in your short lifetime as a dad that you're like, 
you know, people tell you, but you don't really know until you experience it yourself. Is there any one of those things? Or are you already like nervous about when you're going to be a teenager or anything like that? Or you're just like, not even thinking about that yet. No, I'm not even thinking about that yet. I'm trying to take it a day at a time. I watched, I saw this clip when, you know, they're talking, this guy's talking about how, you know, young kids before, you know, when they're between their one and their five, before you know it, it's gone. And you're going to wish that you had that time back. So I'm um, just trying to take it a day at a time and a week at a time. Um, and my, my oldest, my oldest son Briggs is 17 months and watching him progress to baby, to crawling, to walking, to now climbing all over things. It's just, it's really fun just <laughs> going through these stages and and watching him grow and, and kind of come into his own. It's, it's been really fun. That is awesome. And you do have your hands full. And before you know it, if you have another, then you're outnumbered, then you got zone coverage and, you know, but it's all, all good things. There's no, all, what a blessing. So I'm, I'll let you go. Cause I know you, even if you're done with training and you're done with your gym work and you're done with your foam session, get back to your family. But I really appreciate you taking the time. I look forward to seeing not just the rest of the season, but whatever, whatever comes next. And I'm super happy for you. So I appreciate you taking the time and joining me here today. Thanks Kendra. Good to talk to you. All right, everybody, that wraps it up for this episode of Sound of the Loons. We will chat next week after Minnesota United takes on Vancouver. And then, of course, they got the Open Cup game coming up as well against Philadelphia. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.